Welcome. In episode 17, I'm talking about getting your team's buy-in. Welcome to Transforming Procurement Podcast with Lourdes Koss, the show dedicated to help procurement professionals in their transformation journey. Lourdes believes that procurement professionals have the potential to add great value by becoming the best version of themselves. Welcome, friends. In this episode, we're talking about getting your team's buy-in for transformation. In previous podcast episodes, I talked about resources, KPIs, communication, and other aspects of transformation. Today, I want to talk about getting the buy-in from your team so that it positively impacts your team's productivity. How do you get that buy-in? And how do you get them to increase that productivity? I'm sure that there are more strategies out there, but there are some strategies that I use that can help you do that. So, and how do you do that? Well, for 20 years of my 27-year career in government, that's what I did. I was either starting a department or leading a transformation of a group that was deemed ineffective within the organization. I came up the ranks, so I knew what it was like to not be appreciated or at least not feel appreciated. But I also understood what made the difference in moving from someone who was not invited to the meetings to someone who was consulted at the planning stage or even before that. I was able to get involved at the very early ages of the project through a lot of hard work. I lived through what my team was living through with every transformation that I went whenever I went to a new agency. So no one could really say to me, you don't understand, or it's different here. We're understaffed and overworked. The thing is that I was once that person, feeling understaffed and overworked. So it was easy for me to relate to the situation at the different levels because I came up the ranks. I worked hard, but I was also very strategic in what I did. I tried to learn from my mistakes and the mistakes of others. I was always looking for ways to be more efficient and effective in what I did. I created templates for myself and always looked for ways to up my game. I was not competing with anyone but myself. It was that way of thinking that enabled me to reach positions in some of the largest procurement organizations in the U.S. I'm going to try to refer to U.S. instead of country. I just learned that people in Bulgaria are listening to my podcast. So I think that's awesome. Going back to creating templates for myself, what I was doing was trying to be more efficient. By being more efficient, I could produce more. Back then, I remember counting the number of projects that I was involved in and stopped counting at 40. It was crazy to think that anyone can handle that kind of load. 
And these were RFQs, RFPs, and amendments to existing contracts. These were not system automated documents. This was back in the late 80s, early 90s. Needless to say, we didn't have the technology or access to the internet. There was a time when we didn't have email. So 40 different projects then looked very different today. But I was not the only one, though. My colleagues were just as busy, I assumed. I say I assumed because there was really no time to be checking what my neighbor was doing. You didn't want to spend your precious time looking over your shoulder. So the bottom line, I knew how it felt to be overworked. It gets to the point that even if your higher-ups appreciate you, you don't feel appreciated. And if you feel like that for an extended uh, period of time, it starts to become a little bit difficult to come to work. And you start to feel like nothing that you do would matter because it's just not enough to make a dent in your workload. It doesn't help to stay an hour or two longer. I remember coming to work on a Saturday or even a Sunday to catch up. This, of course, was when I was single. Once you have family responsibilities, the weekends are the only time where you can catch up with home stuff and spend time with your family until you have to do it all over again. And week after week, you keep repeating a process that makes you feel that no matter what you do, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. I think that people don't mind seasonal rush, but when that season doesn't end, it becomes very old very fast. So knowing what I knew, I understood how the group was feeling. When I walked around, they, they were all working. There's always someone that doesn't carry their weight for a variety of reasons, but we'll leave those cases aside for now. For the most part, I think that everyone wants to make a contribution and make their contribution count, uh, whether at work, social environment, or at home. So it was unreasonable to assume that people were not being productive on purpose. Generally, when I started digging into a situation, they didn't have the systems, the tools, or even the training to do anything different. So how do you get them to be uh, more productive and buy into the transformation? How do you get your team to believe that they can be more productive and perform at a higher level? when they are already working nonstop? How do you get them to believe that they can have and be more with less effort? How do you get them to believe that they can have a seat at the table? How do you get them to move from feeling powerless and frustrated to feeling empowered and prosperous? and feeling that their contributions matter. 
I have to say that the formula is really simple, but not necessarily easy. It's been said that you can get 80% of the return from 20% of the effort. This is true when it comes to transformations and getting buy-in. Let me explain. The first step is to see value in each person in your team. You have to value people for people to feel valued. As a leader, you are responsible for the performance of your team. You can really tell when a person doesn't think much of you. You can feel it in your skin. So if the leader talks to the people in a way that they don't feel valued, you've already lost the opportunity to get buy-in. People may follow whatever instructions uh, the leader gives them, but will not buy into your leadership. This means that they will follow because they have to, not because they want to. And the trick is to treat people in a way that they want to follow you, where they would want to follow you, rather. It is not manipulation. It is genuinely valuing people and seeing them as a person of value, each one of them. And this is at every level of the organization, regardless of their position or title. Everyone in the organization has an important role. Without it, the other parts of the organization do not function well. I mean, if an organization can be effective without a specific function being performed by someone, why spend the time performing that function? So the first strategy is to help people feel that their contribution matters and eliminate the tasks that do not add value and reassign people where they can add value. You do this by really talking with your team and making decisions to start building your credibility. I recall that in one of the agencies that I worked at, there was this lady working on inputting some information into a system. This was a legacy system that they had for many years. I'll call her Susan for the sake of the example. That was not her name, though. So Susan was bored with her job. And one day I stopped by in my rounds of basically saying hello uh, to people and realized that she was asleep. I've been there. Early in my career, I went to my boss and told him, you got to give me some more to do. I had just finished putting together a financial system and tried to make it so simple that I could do my work in less than half the time. So I went and asked for more to do. And that's how I ended up doing procurement work. Anyway, in my example with Susan, I decided to go around and ask people how they used the information of the system that she was populating. It turned out that buyers that had been in the procurement office for many years had stopped using the system years before I came to the agency. 
the newer people didn't even know about the system. So the work that Susan did day in and day out really added no value to the operation. Of course, I immediately asked her to stop doing what she was doing and got her involved with other functions that needed attention. We all noticed the difference, even in the way she moved and walked. It was as if she all of a sudden was awakened. She added tremendous value to the organization, performing her new responsibilities. Instead of being tucked away in some room, entering data into a system that people didn't even know existed, she was now interacting with the rest of the team and really helping them with tasks that really, really made a difference. She was immediately on board, bought on to, into the transformation, and felt empowered. Fortunately, I discovered this very early in my employment in that agency. And all I did was ask questions. Not in a judgmental way, but in a way to seek understanding of the operation. As I mentioned in my previous episode, as part of my listening tour, I also met with my team when I got to the new agency. It was my responsibility to get to know them. After all, these were the people that were going to make or break the transformation process. The accomplishments of each transformation are really attributed to the individual and the collective contributions of the team. One of the things that I liked to do was work closely with team members to see what their strengths were so that I could create opportunities to help them succeed based on how they define success. So this is my second strategy. Be intentional about discovering the hidden jewels in your organization and help them succeed. There was this organization where I found a few jewels tucked away doing repetitive work and working below their capabilities. There were these three ladies in particular. Two of them blew me away with their performance in projects that I assigned them. These were separate projects. It was amazing to see just, you know, then take ownership of the project and, and kind of take off so much talent. All they needed was the opportunity, an opportunity to lead a project outside of their routine. Both ladies were not as visible in the organization before that. They both got promoted Uh, to do work that was more in line with their talents. This also shows the people that you're going to be fair, that you're not uh, biased about title or hearsay. If they had been overlooked for some reason, that you will be fair in acknowledging and rewarding their talents and efforts. These are two simple ways of getting buy-in. 
not just from the people that are personally impacted with the promotion or opportunity, but others that see that they too have an opportunity. Now, that doesn't mean that there are not going to be some people that are going to sabotage the progress or that are going to pretend to be on board. You'll be able to identify those a mile away. The thing is, are they holding anyone back? Because those people that are being held back are the ones that you have to make sure that you help bring out and help them perform to their abilities. I have story after story of these instances. And I only got to two strategies. Overall, you get buy-in one person at a time. You have to connect with each team member within your organization. You need to take the time to do this. Again, it is not manipulating them. It is helping them to see that you can help them succeed, that your motives are pure or genuine, and that their success helps the entire organization. So you have to build trust. You need to show that you have the experience, that you can make decisions, and that you have been wherever it is that you're leading them. Once you have that trust, have had some successes, your buy-in is going to grow. Finally, I'll say that the leader should spend most of the time with that 20% that get on board right away and help them succeed. This is going to help that 60% in the middle move towards buying in and may even pull some of those that are in the lower 20% and that are reluctant to hopefully embrace some of the changes. I know that this is counterintuitive because the tendency is to try to convert those in the opposition. But if you do that, you neglect the ones that are willing participants and you don't want to lose their interest because what's at question is that 60% in the middle. They haven't decided which way to go. So I'd rather lose the 20% at the bottom than the 80% in the process. So if I can get 80% or get close to that 80%, I'm golden. That will force the bottom 20 to either leave or conform. Okay, friends, that's all I have for today. Don't forget to visit my events page of my website, lourdescause.com. For programs on leadership, I have a link for upcoming webinars on my events page. I'll put a link also on the notes of my podcast if you'd like to subscribe to my leadership newsletter. If your chapter is not a member of the 2021 webinar program, you can still participate via a link on the events page. Finally, I am taking part in the Change Your World movement initiated by Dr. John C. Maxwell by leading a transformation table. My current table is already full, but reach out to me if you're interested. I'm considering starting another one. 
Remember that together we can make a difference. Thank you again for listening. Join me next time for more on the transformation journey. Until then, be well, my friend. Until next time, add value, grow, and transform.